Chapter two nineteen of Varney the Vampire, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume three, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter two nineteen. The awful supposition. A resolution. It was with some reluctance that the clergyman spoke. Sir, he said to the old baronet, and you, my young gentleman, I am afraid, very much afraid, that I am doing anything but right in countenancing a supposition so utterly at variance with all my own notions and feelings, but my abhorrence of a secret impels me to speak. Say on, sir, say on, cried Sir George. Perhaps we are better prepared to hear what you have to tell than you imagine. After this, Mr. Bevan had less reluctance to speak. He said, I was aware, although you all were not, that Mr. Ringwood intended to keep watch last night in the church, in order to test the truth of what had been told by Will Stevens the sexton. I did all I could to persuade him from making the attempt, but when I found that nothing else would satisfy him, I thought it prudent to give him the means of carrying out what had become such a fixed intention with him, that to oppose it was to do far more mischief than to grant it all the aid I had in my power to do. Sir George gave a nod of assent. He went there, continued Mr. Bevan, with a private key of my own, and took his place in the church. I wish, sir, you had been with him, said Edwin. Yes, added Charles, if you, with your cool, calm, unbiased judgment, had been there, we should have been much better able to come to a correct conclusion about what occurred, or that something did occur, or was supposed by Ringwood to do so, we can well guess. I wish indeed I had been there, said Mr. Bevan but he begged so earnestly to be allowed to go alone that I had not the heart to refuse him. And what happened, sir? I will tell you. I gave him a key which admitted him to the church by the small private entrance at which I usually go in myself. In fact, it was my own private key, for I at times visit the church and wish to do so when I am not expected by those who have the ordinary charge of it. We have heard as much. No doubt. Well, then, I say I gave him that key, but it was my sympathy with his evident distress, rather than my judgment which consented to do so, and I had hardly done it when I began to busy myself with conjectures, and to deeply regret that I had yielded to him so easily. What if he, in his excited and grief-stricken state of mind, should come to some serious mischief, I said to myself, should not I be very much to blame? Would not all prudent persons say that I did very wrong to send a man in such a condition of mind into a church at midnight, alone? Your motives and your known character, sir, would protect you, said Charles. I hope so, continued Mr. Bevan. I think it would from all other charges but imprudence, and if any great mischance had befallen Ringwood, 
I should not so readily have forgiven myself, as others might have been induced to forgive me. I understand that feeling, said Sir George. Well then, with such sensations tugging at my heart, no wonder I could not rest, and so at a little after twelve I rose, and hastily dressing myself, I left my house as noiselessly as possible, and made my way towards the church. The moon's light was at that time obscured, but every spot was so familiar to me that I was able to go with speed, and I soon reached the venerable building. I walked round it until I came to the door, the key of which I had given to Mr. Ringwood. It was open, but the moment I crossed the threshold, I stumbled on his insensible form. "'Go on! Go on! He had seen something terrible!' gasped Sir George. "'I am nerved, I think, for the very worst. I pray you, sir, go on, and tell me all.' "'I will, Sir George, because I feel convinced it is my duty to conceal nothing in this transaction, and because I think you had better, more calmly and dispassionately, and without exaggeration, hear from me all that is to be told. That is a good reason, sir, said Edwin. We should, of course, hear from all other sources, and probably with all the aids that a feeling for the marvellous could append to it. That is my impression. When, then, I stumbled over a person lying just within the little private door of the church, I had no immediate means of knowing who it was. I tell you it was Ringwood, because I afterwards discovered as much. I had the means of getting a light. When I did so, I found Ringwood lying in a swoon, while at the same time I could not but notice a large bruise upon his forehead. Of course my first duty was to look after him, instead of troubling myself about his assailant and having placed him in as convenient a posture as I could, I hurried home again and roused up my servants. With their assistance I got him to my house and placed him in bed. And did you search the church, sir? I did. I went back and searched it thoroughly, but found nothing at all suspicious. Everything was in its right place, and I could not account for the affair at all because of the wound that Ringwood had. I was most anxious to hear from him that he had had a fall. But, but, said Sir George falteringly, he told a different story. He did. A story which you will not keep from us. I do not feel myself justified, as I have said, in keeping it from you. This is it. The clergyman then related to the family of the Croftons what is already known to the reader concerning the adventures of Ringwood in the old church, and which that morning, upon his recovery, Ringwood had told to him most circumstantially. We need scarcely say that this recital was listened to with the most agonized feelings. Poor Sir George appeared to be most completely overcome by it, he trembled excessively, and could not command himself sufficiently to speak. The two brothers looked at each other in dismay. "'Now I pray you all to consider this matter more calmly,' said Mr. Bevan. 
than you seem inclined to do. Calmly, gasped Sir George, calmly. Yes, what evidence have we after all that the whole affair is anything more than a dream of Mr. Ringwood's? Does he doubt it? No, I am bound to tell you that he does not, but we may well do so for all that. He is the last person who is likely to give in to the opinion that it is a mere vision, so strangely impressed as it is upon his imagination. Recollect always that he went to the church prepared to see something. Oh, if we could but think it unreal, said Sir George, glancing at his sons, as if to gather their opinions of the matter from their countenances. I will cling to such a thought, said Charles, until I am convinced otherwise through the medium of my own senses. And I, said Edwin. You are right, added Mr. Bevan. I never in the whole course of my experience heard of anything of which people should be so slow of believing in as this most uncomfortable affair. You now know all, and it is for yourselves, of course, to make whatever determination you think fit. If I might advise, it would be that you all take a short tour, perhaps on the continent for a time. Mr. Bevan, said Sir George, in a kindly tone, I am greatly obliged to you. The suggestion I know springs from the very best and friendly motives, but it carries with it a strong presumption that you really do think there is something in all this affair which it would be as well to have settled in my absence. The clergyman could not deny but that some such feeling was at the bottom of his advice, but still he would not admit that he was at all convinced of the reality of what was presumed to have happened, and a short pause in the conversation ensued after which Sir George spoke with a solemn air of determination, saying to his sons as well as to his friend and pastor, Mr. Bevan, When I tell you that I have made a determination from which nothing but the hand of heaven visiting me with death shall move me, I hope no one here will try to dissuade me from carrying it out. After such an exordium, it was a difficult thing to say anything to him, so he continued. My child was dear, very dear to me in life, and I have no superstitious fears concerning one who held such a place in my affections. I am resolved that to-night I will watch her poor remains, and at once convince myself of a horror that may drive me mad, or take a mountain of grief and apprehension off my heart. Father, cried Charles, you will allow me to accompany you. And me, added Edwin. My sons, you are both deeply interested in this matter. You would be miserable while I was gone, if you were not with me. Moreover, I will not trust my own imagination entirely. We will all three go, and then we cannot be deceived. This is my most solemn resolution. I have only one thing to say regarding it, said Mr. Bevan, that is, to prefer an earnest request that you will allow me to be one of the party. You shall sit in a pew of the church that shall command a view of the whole building. 
accompany us mr bevan if you will said sir george but i sit in no pew no pew no by my child's coffin in the vault where repose the remains of more than one of my race who had been dear to me in life will i take my place there was an earnest resolved solemnity about sir george's manner which showed that he was not to be turned from his purpose and mr bevan accordingly did not attempt to do so he had done what he scarcely expected that is got a consent to accompany him to the night vigil and at all events let what would happen he as a more disinterested party than the others would be able probably to interfere and prevent any disastrous circumstances from arising say nothing of what has been determined on to any one said sir george keep it a profound secret sir and this night will put an end to the agony of doubt depend upon me will you come to my house at eleven o'clock or shall i come here we will come to you it is in the way thus then the affair was settled so far satisfactorily that there was to be a watch actually now in the vault so that there could be no delusion no trick practised what will be the result will be shown very shortly in the meantime we cannot but tremble at what that attached and nearly broken-hearted father may have still to go through the excitement too in the village was immense for the story of the vampire's attack upon the young girl was fresh in everybody's mouth and it lost nothing of its real horrors by the frequency with which it was repeated and the terror-stricken manner in which it was dilated upon end of chapter two nineteen